Hi, this is Anthony Esposito from the infamous Ace Freely Band. Hello, my name is Blaze Bailey. Hi, this is Bruce Kulik. Hey, this is Chuck Billy from Testament right here on Mars Attacks. Hey everyone, this is Dave Menachetti from YNT. This is Dave Starr from Wildstar. What's up, this is Doc Coyle from the band God Forbid. Alright, this is Jason from uh, Kings of Modesty. What's happening? This is Jeremy Goldberg from Age of Evil. Hey, what's up? This is Joey Z from Life of Agony. Hey, what's up? This is Mercedes from Kitty. I'm Rasmus Bluberg from New Keepers of the Water Towers. Hey, this is Tim Ripper Owens. Hey, this is Steven from I Wrestled a Bear Once. Hey, this is Tara. And this is Ivy. And we're half of Kitty. Hey, this is Wolf from the Chariot. This is Bobby Bliss from Overkill. You stay tuned. Hi, this is Robert Flashman. Hey, everybody. This is Bobby Rock. Hey, this is Zach from Nonpoint. Hey, this is Frank from New Revolution. And you're listening to Mars Attacks. Booyah! Hey, this is Robbie Crane from Rat, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Go get him. Hey, what's up? This is Joe from Misery. Hey, this is Jonathan Misery. Hey, this is Dale Lorenzo from Hades, nonfiction, the cursed, and my horrible solo music. You're listening to my boy Victor on Mars Attacks. G'day, this is Dice from Avon, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Keep rocking. Hey, this is Ron Bumble for Fall of Guns N' Roses, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Uh, hey, what's up? This is Liam from Cancer Bat, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, what's up? This is Jose from Bonnet by Blood, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Okay, this is Patrick from Heaven Below. You're listening to Mars Attacks. How you doing? This is Frankie Benelli from Quiet Riot, letting you know that Victor rocks on Mars Attacks Radio. Hey, this is Richard Patrick from Stilter, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, everybody, what's happening? This is John Bush, and you're cranking it up on Mars Attacks. Crack your fast! Battle's on the way! episode 21 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I am your host, Victor, and today we have an extra special interview to mark the one-year anniversary of the Mars Attacks universe, per se, Mars Attacks Radio, Mars Attacks podcast. Uh, We have an interview with Armored Saint lead singer, former Anthrax lead singer, John Bush, one of my all-time favorite singers, so it was a very special occasion for me to be able to talk to him and talk about various different things uh, regarding his career. Definitely a singer whose craft has definitely touched my life personally and uh, was very cool to be able to talk to him about Anthrax, to talk to him about Joey Belladonna, about Dan Nelson, about various things, about Metallica. You know, there's a lot of different things that have been written over the years But until you hear someone actually speak about it, you know, sometimes it's difficult to be convinced. You know, you read, uh, one day you read one thing, the next day you read something sort of different, the day after that it's a complete 180, you know, so you're not exactly sure. But when you hear someone like John Bush actually talk about being asked to join Metallica, being asked to join Anthrax, things of that nature, you know, you hear the sincerity in his voice and you 
absolutely believe, you know, what he has to say. Uh, definitely one of the quintessential metal singers. Um, I, you know, I've always said that the metal trinity is Bruce Dickinson, Ronnie James Dio, and Rob Halford. John Bush has to be right there next to them. You know, you probably have like a Jeff Tate and... Uh, John Bush, right there, you know, right on their coattails, you know. Um, not to say that he's any less of a singer. He brings something different to the table. But he's one of those um, legendary metal vocalists. Uh, obviously, he's gone back and forth between doing more of a thrashy thing, more of a just straight-up hard rock. Uh, but his voice has always been important. Uh, before jumping into the interview, want to remind everyone, if you're listening to this via Blabbermouth or some other online page, you can download this interview and listen to it at your leisure from MarsAttacksRadio.com. You'll also find a list of all the other interviews that we've conducted throughout the course of the last year. Um, you have Chuck Billy from Testament, Richard Patrick from Filter, you have, uh, Blitz from Overkill, you know, pretty much listen back to the IDs there at the beginning of the show to get a good feel, an idea for, um, who we've actually talked to during the course of the last year. Uh, we actually have some old interviews that are still going to be coming out in the next few weeks. We have some important interviews, I feel. Uh, with Ripper Owens, for example. We have an interview with Doc Coyle from God Forbid that I um, have referenced on many occasions as well. Maybe not as big of an artist as some of these other people that I've mentioned, but still an important interview in my opinion because uh, you really see the humanity and some of the things that goes on behind the scenes with metal and with music in general. Um, Doc is really straight up with you know his life and music and everything else. and It's I think it's really insightful, but, you know, what do I know? <laughs> anyway, since this is about John Bush, this is about, you know, we focus a good deal on the uh, new Armored Saint album. What we're going to do is play an Armored Saint track. We'll probably play a little uh, Bush tracks, as people say, uh, towards the end of the show. But uh, here's a song off of the new album. In Spanish, it's La Raza here in Spain. For, you know, people in South America, it's La Raza. Um, for people in the Anglo-Saxon world, it's La Raza. So uh, we talk about this specific track during the album itself. This is the title track coming off of La Raza. This is La Raza.
You guys chose to name the new Armored Saint album La Raza, or La Raza, as they would pronounce it here in Spain, or The Race, which yeah. is a reference used a lot by Mexicans. Is there any specific reason why you guys named the album La Raza? Well, we we have obviously a, a close connection with um, you know the, the Mexican uh, heritage as well as uh, growing up in uh, an area of El Sorino in East LA that um, you know we, we feel a close uh, connection to um, as far as you know people living in that neighborhood and um, people from that background. Um, so we we you know we're we have this. This closeness with the the Latin community, and um, yeah, it just seemed like the right name for a record. Um, we did kind of, um, you know, we we when we wrote songs for the record, uh, Joey would give me a working title, and uh, some of them we kept, and others, you know, we, we didn't. He just was kind of giving me something to 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 start the ball off with. And right. um, the Raza, that, that t was the title of the song he gave me. And I don't know, for some reason, it always just felt like the title track, especially the way the song came out. It's a great mm -hmm. song. It has this kind of epic, you know, Santana, Mars Volta meets metal trip to it. And, um, you know, I just felt like it always sounded like it was the right title track. And that combined with the fact that, you know, we kind of had this real – Latin flair in a few songs, and mm -hmm. you know we're, we're really embracing our 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 background as far as you know the three three fifths of the guys being of Mexican descent, and you know it's all you know a lot of it had to do with also you know being in Los Angeles and you know our feelings and uh, you know our affinity with the city of Los Angeles. So mm -hmm. it all just seemed like the the right title for the record, and just mm -hmm. felt felt right. And um, the only thing about it is I just didn't want to write a song you know, call La Raza and write it about, you know, the Mexican race because that just seemed too easy. And I surely don't want to be the spokesperson for <laughs> the Mexican community <laughs> when it comes to that, especially being a white guy. Right. Um, but um, I did feel like um, it, using that title and then throwing a twist on it would be really cool. And that's what I did. So I wrote a song that I thought was about the human race. Right. And, um, you know, it still has the same meaning. Mm -hmm. um, little, little metaphorical twist there, and uh, you know I've always written that way when it comes to lyrics and stuff. So um, you know that's that's kind of how I took it. Cool. I'm doing some construction at my house, so uh, if you <laughs> have some extra heavy metal sounds coming in the background, I, I apologize. <laughs> no problem at all. I spoke to uh, Bobby Blitz from Overkill while he was spackling his chimney. So All right, cool. So nothing new to having home improvement done while recording interviews. <laughs> cool, right on. Um, you've worked with Armored Saint off and on. Uh, during the years, usually doing festivals. Why did now seem like the right occasion to record an album? You know, it, there was no specific rhyme or reason. Uh, it wasn't like we sat around and calculated this idea of making a record. It really happened in an organic kind of fashion where Joey just said, hey, do you want to write some songs? And I said, uh, all right. But <laughs> I probably even had like a little apprehension because thinking like, what what are we going to do with this? What's the purpose of it? And, you know, he was just like, uh, nothing really. How about let's just write some songs from one writer to another? And I said, all right, when you put it like that, you know, let's, let's do it. Because I had, you know, when I left Anthrax in 2005, 
I was I was actually embracing the idea of just taking a break from music, and I, I really didn't know what was going to happen with my musical career. Um, there was a lot of uncertainty that was happening, and and believe it or not, I just kind of embraced it. And I said, ah, you know, maybe I, I've been playing in bands since I was 19 years old. Maybe it's time for me to just take a break. Um, yeah, I never would want to take a break from music per se, but obviously, you know, the aspect of the music business was something that I I said, ah, eh, you know, maybe it's time to to walk away for a little bit and see what happens. And uh, other things were going on in my life. I kind of started a new career and. You know, I had a new daughter, and I don't know, I was just, like, ready to take a break. And so when Joey proposed the idea of writing, I probably had some reluctance. And I probably said, you know, why are we going to do it? But like I said, he he kind of was um, stressing that it was just for for fun and writing songs. And, I, you know, I really liked that idea because it kind of made it really boundless, boundless Mm -hmm. in the sense of, you know, it didn't seem like an... Uh, an obligation to doing something a certain way, a certain style. It kind of, you know, let, left it in a way where we could just kind of write where this unlimited um, style. And I liked that. I thought that was kind of um, neat. So um, that's what we did. And, you know, and well, as time went by, we knew that, you know, it was going to probably turn into a Saint record, and we kind of focused a little bit more. But in the beginning, it really kind of was this, just a songwriting approach to making music, and um, I, it was cool. I dug it. Okay. And how difficult was it for Joey to convince you guys to allow him to produce the album? Not, not hard at all. Joey's an amazing engineer. He's uh, beyond talented when it comes to that particular build. Um, mm-hmm. He probably should be producing a lot of bands' records and making a lot of hit albums because he's just a real meticulous uh, guy when it comes to working in the studio. He has an amazing ear. He works his ass off. He's He just is relentless with working. Um, he's just talented in, in, in all capacities. As a bass player, as a guitar player, as a writer, as a producer, you know, he, you know, as a as a manager, he kind of pretty much is a manager of Armored Saint. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just a real talented, uh, versatile guy. So uh, it wasn't hard at all. I mean, Joey, you know, with the hand of, of Dave Jordan, I mean, pretty much co-produced the symbol of salvation which you know stands to be one of Armitain's you know, greatest records and right he just you know, you know he, he had a big hand in doing revelation and, and it just felt right you know it's it's a way for us to kind of keep things close to the chest and mm-hmm. you know just you know no one knows the band better than him and I and in particular him so you know, it's an easy decision to make okay and um you mentioned that things just sort of organically grew with this album, with the songwriting itself. Uh, once you guys actually got into songwriting mode, uh, did you feel that there was something specific that you needed to do with the album, or did you just feel that however things evolved, that's what you guys were going to embrace with the album? Yeah, I think that's what we did. We just kind of said, let's just, let's just see what happens and, and write whatever's coming natural to us. And if it's something that sounds like the song Blackfeet, where it's kind of got this, like, swampy, bluesy thing, um, right? you know, we'll do it. Or if it sounds like Head On, which is, you know, more of a traditional kind of metal song, we'll do it. And, um, you know, La Brazo, the way it sounded and the style of it, you know, we embraced it. We didn't... You know, Armored Saints a band that, like, you know, we're we're a bluesy, hard rock band, and, you know, we, we are what we are, but I kind of feel like there's a lot of different things we can do Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've always kind of 
kind of had much more of a, a bluesier approach than the uh, than the standard power metal, which is the for whatever reason we were kind of lumped into that <laughs> for lack of a better comparison. I guess. Right. But you know, we you know, over the edge, man, is like a song off an Aerosmith record. You know, it's just like we right. we can do that. We can do aftermath, and we can do over the edge, and we can do La Raza, and we could do Raising Fear. You know, I think we can do a lot of different things, and it's not just metal it's you know it's metal with this kind of soulful touch and if anything we really push ourselves to be as soulful as possible i mean if things didn't sound bluesy or uh, you know we would say is it black enough no then you got to black it up i mean that's like how i approach singing and i you know i've always been very influenced by r&b singers and you know this time it was like i gotta push the envelope with that because you know it, I, I didn't really feel like i couldn't or I, I I kind of I felt like it was my obligation to touching myself in that way where I was like gonna you know, really bring out my inner R&B singer and uh, just be you know just be soulful you know and that's the thing that I think is kind of lacking sometimes in in the world of metal and I mean with all due respect as far as singers go in metal I mean come on man it's it's a, it's a pretty hurting area you know right. uh, there are some good singers but. The idea of singing is something that is just kind of, I don't know how relevant it is anymore, especially in heavy metal. So, um, you know, I'm not judging. I'm just merely saying I just come from a different ilk, and um, that's kind of what I do. And, you know, to me it's all about creating a really cool melody. And you can still be heavy as hell. It just has to still have some soul to it, you know. And, right. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the way we approach everything. So as long as, you know, we... We had those standards. I felt like we could do anything we wanted to. Okay. And you bring up a good point. You know, it's odd that uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago, um, guitar solos were shunned, and now it's as if singing is being shunned. So, Well, you know, I don't know why. I mean, I have my personal opinions as a fan, and, you know, I, I don't, like I said, I, I'm not here to say what I think is right or wrong, it, you know, right. I have my own taste as a singer as well, you know, or a musician or as a music listener. So, you know, as, it's, as a music listener, I think that, um, you know, it, it's easy to just get away with screaming. I mean, mm -hmm. I, not to say that's easy, because when I, you know, watch, you know, Cannibal Corpse and the fact that that comes out of his voice, it's like astonishing to me, you know, so don't <laughs> get me wrong. I, I mean, there's a certain ability involved in that that is, is it takes it takes something for sure, but right. in terms of actually singing and you know uh, you know pushing your voice to do various things, you know like a singer like Mike Patton is, you know who's like the king of rock singers as far as I'm concerned. Like, right. I think that you know that is something that's just missing. You know, and, and Mike Patton is a guy who can scream and then turn around and turn into you know a crooner. So, I mean, right. you can do it. I'm not saying everybody is Mike Patton or should aspire to be someone like Mike Patton, but, you know, singing is singing. And, you know, you should be able to, I don't know, it's just, I think it's just missing in rock and, and, and heavy metal. And, uh, you know, so yeah, as a music fan, I, I, I think that is something that hopefully will kind of resurface because, it, right. you know, and like like anything else, you know, maybe there's a there's a, there's a cycle to it, and you know, maybe you know it was all about energy and uh, you know screaming your brains out and getting that point across, and that's fine. You know, things are always moving in, in music, but um, you know it's something that maybe uh, we could we could stand to listen to and 
it'd probably be a breath of fresh air to hear that. So. Gotcha. Yeah, and, and I don't think it's, you know, the Cannibal Corpse per se. It's the 15 millionth version of Cannibal Corpse clones that are the <laughs> well, better. <laughs> well, that's the truth. I mean, like, I, you, it's like down the line, you know, if it starts all emulating that same thing, it starts sounding the same. And when you put on yeah. a bunch of bands from, you know, the 80s, uh, even in heavy metal, they, everybody sounded a little different, and that was a lot of it was due to the vocals. So, right. um, you know, as as in all music, for that yeah. matter, you know, and you listen to the '70s soul styles of, of of the bands that were out. They they all sounded a bit different, even though everybody kind of had a similar thing. But mm-hmm. the vocalist is what helped, you know, catapult somebody to sound different than the other band. And right, uh, you know. Sometimes I, you know, as not a connoisseur to this new style of metal as much, it's hard for me to hear that. I'm sure, you know, some 18-year-old kid could tell me, well, I'll tell you why this sounds different and that sounds different because, you know, and, and he'd probably be right. Right. But, uh, it's just I don't necessarily hear it. So. <laughs> I hear you 100% because I have to do all types of reviews and after a while it just all sounds the same to me. So. <laughs> Well, I don't think anybody wants to sound the same. That's the bottom line. I'm sure everybody aspires to do something that, you know, is their own little trip. And, uh, right. You know, and you know, I'm sure those bands are, are trying to do that. And, you know, bands, you know, bands are always trying to uh, separate themselves from the crowd. And, you know, that's, yeah, that should be the goal anyway. Well, I think you touched on a good point, though. I think a lot of the soul or maybe the soulful approach or even the bluesy approach that maybe we're more accustomed to is something that sort of faded away in later generations. And maybe there just isn't that same touch or that same feeling to a lot of the newer stuff. Maybe that's just, as you said, is what's missing. Yeah, and everything, like I said, everything goes in cycles. And, yeah. you know, maybe maybe that'll be that'll turn. So uh, I, I just know what I do best and I know what I, I strive for as a musician and as a singer primarily. Right. And, um, and this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to push myself in a way where I don't really feel like I, I ever had. And, you know, it's hard as a singer because, you know, I mean, I'm 46 years old now and trying to sing stuff from like March of the Saint. Right. When I was 21 years old, man, it's challenging, you know, because I I listen to it and I sound like a peep squeak for one, <laughs> and you know, my voice has just changed dramatically through the years due to aging and alcohol and you name it, you know. So, right. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's a challenge, but I, I'm actually I think a better singer than I've ever been as far as being able to kind of pull things off, um, having it sound convincing, um, being diverse and versatile in my style. Um, you know, and I strive to do that. And, and on this record, you know, we really pushed it. You know, and and believe me, those times when I was looking at Joey, going, "Come on, man, it's good enough," and he's like, "Not good enough." And I was like, Fuck, I "Hate you." <laughs> you know, he was right. You know, we, we could pull something out a little better than it was. Uh, touching on one of the things you just said about your voice changing over the years, do you feel that you have to warm up more when going into uh, recording or going out on tour now, or do you just show up and? You know, oh, you, no. you're ready to go. No, uh, quite the contrary. I definitely have to. I, I, I took lessons over again and uh, learned how to warm up better. And, um, you know, obviously I have to change my diet when I go on the road, which I hate because I love Mexican food and Indian food. And spicy <laughs> foods can, you know, just ruin your voice. And um, that leaves mine. Um, you know, and i got to kind of take down my alcohol consumption, which is probably a good thing. But, um <laughs> You know, I, I definitely have to 
try harder. And it, and you know, this people this, being a singer is, is sometimes annoying because even though the, usually the guy who gets the biggest accolades and the, you know the front guy, he's the guy who if he wants to sound good, he really has to take care of himself. And right. you can't just get away with going out and raging every night because you just won't pull it off. In time, you know you'll eventually wear down you know i don't know some everybody is is has their own timetable but you know eventually your voice will just it'll it'll sound that way it'll sound like it was uh, worn out and um you know i'm proud i'm proud of what i still can do i mean i i I just that's one of the things about touring that i just my heart's not in because i can't for me i just can't go out there and sing months on end i just don't have it in me I don't mm-hmm. think I physically can do it, especially if I'm trying to sing this old music that I'm associated with. Um, plus, it's just stressful. Like I, I, you know, I don't like thinking about it. like, oh man, you know, uh, my son's sick. God damn it, you know, like I, I'm gonna, you know, don't touch him. And like, it's this is what singers kind of have to think about sometimes, and it's, it's annoying. You know, right. I, 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 you know, I don't. It's really kind of gets to the point where I just like hate thinking about it. I mean, you kind of have to. Otherwise, you you know, if you don't, then you're probably going to, you know, you'll be in some loud clubs, clubs screaming over, you know, drinks, and next thing you know, you'll go to the gig the next day and like, ah, oh, maybe I shouldn't have went out that night. <laughs> you always right. have to think, and, so, you know, it can, it can be kind of annoying. So, Gotcha. And as far as the songwriting process is concerned, when you come up with lyrics, do you tend to stockpile things, or do you just... Uh, just sort of go with whatever pops in your mind. Um, I have a book of a bunch of phrases and sentences and lines and you know, one word here and there. It's just a you know my book of kind of ideas and um, you know it varies from like I said being long sentences to maybe just a phrase. And um, what I'll do is I'll just consult that when I get music. Um, and then I'll see what kind of seems like it works with that, and what you know why how that kind of maybe applies to that particular musical style of that song, and and then I'll um, you know then that'll open the door, and then I'll just go from there. But sometimes I'll use many phrases from my book, or maybe just one, and maybe it'll just be the title, and then I'll just kind of write from there. So I'm always consulting my little. Uh, my lyrics book, but it's not like I have whole songs in there or anything like that. Right. It's just used. It's just like lines and phrases and things of that nature. But I, I you know, it's very, very helpful. And I, I'm real proud of the lyrics that I wrote on this album. I think that, um, you know, I really kind of stripped myself kind of naked when it came to ideas and feelings I had about myself and my life and you know where I'm at in my life and you know my family and um, you know things that. Eh, most people may be reluctant to to talk about, and I, I just was like, I don't, I don't care. So I'm gonna say it. I mean, I'll mention the, my age, and I'll mention, um, you know, things that maybe are like a little personal that sometimes people kind of keep to themselves. And I don't know. I just felt like I, it was things I had to say for myself more than anything. So. Gotcha. And aside from that, how do you feel that the band's songwriting has evolved over the years? Again, just uh, you know, being willing to take chances and uh, and not be kind of confined to you know, the word heavy metal and doing things mm-hmm. that you know in the past, back in the day in the 80s, you know, we would we would have to ask ourselves 
you know, some of the time, you know, wow, does that fit into the quote-unquote armored saint style? And, you know, I think that sometimes we, you know, sometimes we did that. A lot of times we didn't, but we did, we definitely did do it. And um, now we just, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, like I, like I always, Joey and I always say, I mean, you know, it's him writing music. It's me singing it. You know, we're not dishing out our, uh, our bluegrass record here it's, you know it's rock so it's gonna right. it's gonna sound that way um that being said you know we can kind of open the door and and you know have it be limitless so cool so so we can expect that bluegrass record somewhere down the road i i i would love to do a bluegrass record i just wouldn't call it armored saint you know that's the whole thing if i did i would try to be honest and say well you know this is um, you know, this is not Armored Saint. So if you are going to buy it, don't be <laughs> under any illusion that this is what it is. So, And believe me, me and Joey talked about that. In the early stages of writing, we kind of felt like we were doing things that sounded you know, a little different. So right. we almost entertained the idea of saying, hey, you want to do something different, you know, maybe, you know, a different band. But at the end of the day, it's like, it's him, it's me. Like, it's rock. I mean, what are we going to do? What are, who are we going to kid here, you know? Right. So, you know, we don't need to, we don't need to, you know, we, we need to, uh, you know, be true to what it is. And, you know, I wanted, you know, uh, Jeff and Phil and Gonzo to come in and put their stamp on, on what we did and, you know, expand on it. And they did that. So, mm-hmm. great. Okay. Um, one of the previous albums that you touched upon was Symbol of Salvation. Um, this album, to me, is the cool, one of the quintessential albums to sort of get me in the mindset to hate when people say that 90s metal sucked. Because I think this was one of the albums that was at the forefront to, you know, show that 90s metal didn't suck. Um, Do you think that that decade gets a bad rap? I mean, obviously you worked on that album and you worked on a lot of great Anthrax albums that came out during that decade as well. Well, I mean, for me, you know, I was in their 80s, and the 80s was when it was all new, and that was Armored Saint, and then I, I joined Anthrax in the 90s, and, you know, those are the albums that I'm associated with Anthrax from the 90s, except for with Come For You All, and so um, I'm cool with the 90s. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a metamorphosis that was taking place, um, and, you know, that's life, and that's the way it should have been, and, um, you know, you kind of roll with it. doesn't mean you had to change your style completely, but, you know, I think that, See, I'm about growth. You know, I don't. Right. That doesn't mean that you have to all of a sudden go. Oh, well, what's happening? Well, I, the last thing I want to do is look around and go. Well, they're doing this, so what should we do? I never ever felt like that. That being said, Allison Chain, Soundgarden, these are amazing bands that like mm-hmm. were inspiring to me. So I mean, I wanted that to influence me in the sense that, you know, I was getting motivated by these current bands that were great. So um, that's all good. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, the, it's funny because it there would be times when I would say to the guys in Anthrax, and I think they had a harder time with the decline of, you know, the band in the 90s than I did because for me, it was a step up because Armored Saint was just not as popular. So right. it was easy to go, hey, this is great. <laughs> We're getting fed tonight. So, um, but, you know, for them it was a little hard because the 80s was glory time and then, you know, the 90s we slipped. Um, but, you know, the music didn't, it kind of kept progressing and kind of evolving. And that's what I think you aspire to do as a musician. The last thing you want to do is make the same record every year. You don't want to do that because then that's just kind of 
safe. That's not that's not metal. That's conservative. That's right. how I see it. So, and conservative shouldn't be associated with metal. Of course, it is. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> you know, to what, believe me, a lot of bands make the same record every year, and it's like, hey, no matter how metal that is, you're just making the same record every year. That's not yeah. cool. You got to yeah. evolve. So, um, for me, there's no more kids. Sorry. Um, but you know, the, uh, yeah, I think Symbol of Salvation was a was a great record, and um, you know, it was more than anything beyond all uh, you know time as far as coming out and all that. More importantly, it was about um, just a record that almost didn't happen, and that was mm-hmm. the day Pritchard died, and you know, he was the one that wrote the bulk of those songs, and he just you know, once he he left, we didn't we didn't know if we had a band, quite frankly, and. Um, you know, we were able to pull that out and still make that record happen. So there really is a magical trip to it. Um, you know, that's I think that's more important than actually, you know, what year it came out. Right. I got you. Okay. Recently I saw that uh, you guys did a Rainbow Song live, and you've done a bunch of covers over the years as well throughout your work with Anthrax, and you've actually um, guested on a Six Feet Under track as well. What's it like approaching these different covers? Um, you know, it, it just depends on the song, you know, and what the song kind of is. You know, when I did the bands with Anthrax, you know, it was a Radiohead song, and, um, you know, I wasn't going to try to sing it like Tom York did. Um, right. So I was going to have it, you know, more of an edge, um, and that, that seemed like the logical thing. Um, if we're doing something that already is heavy or something, then I'll probably maybe try to incorporate more of my own singing style in it. Um, it's just, it, I guess it would depend on the song. And, uh, you know, the long live rock and roll thing was just a fun thing to do because, you know, uh, I mean, Ronnie's death was, uh, was very recent. Uh, and, um, we just thought it would be neat to do. We just didn't want to do a Sabbath song. We kind of like, ah, oh, we got to, you know, and then, you know, then we didn't want to really do just long live rock and roll because we we're like, God, so obvious. But on the other hand, I was like, well, we pull out like starstruck. No one's going to even know what it is. <laughs> oh. So, I mean, I wanted to like, kind of say, hey, let's go with Terra Woman or, you know, Gates of Babylon. But it's like, I know, you know, for one, I don't know if we get to do it. And number two if, uh, is is that, you know, I just, we, we couldn't do something that was going to be so obscure that it would kind of defeat the purpose. So, Right. So I think you just have fun with those things. Um, you know, the, again, it de- depends on the song and it depends on the style of the song, uh, you know, you know where it came from, if it's a, a heavier song or if it's, you know, something a little bit more obscure. Like we did, we we did Leonard Skinner's um, Saturday Night Special. And quite frankly, I think we missed the boat on it when uh, in our version on Raising Fear. But um, I wish we would, in retrospect, I wish we would have like tried tried to stay truer to the original version of it. Um, but we just kind of tried to rock it out, and I think we uh, we kind of missed it on that one. But you know, hey, live and learn. You've also done a few collaborations over the years. You did a track with Peter from Soilwork, and um, within Anthrax, you also uh, played with Dime and Phil from Pantera as well. What were those two particular experiences like? Uh, well, the Soilwork thing, that was for the Nuclear Blast um, compilation record, right. and that was really cool. I really enjoyed doing that. I thought that was a really cool song, and I really mm-hmm. had fun. Um, doing that. It was an original song, so that was kind of neat. Um, with Phil and Dimebag, I mean, Dimebag played on like three Anthrax records in a row, so right. um, it was kind of where our guitar, lead guitar situation was kind of in limbo, and so I was like, well, uh, 
call Dieback and see if he'll do another couple <laughs> leads. And, you know, of course, obviously we would wanted him to do it, and uh, he was um, very uh, into doing it as well. So we were very fortunate because he was, you know, a legend. Um, so that was neat. And then we, then I think by, uh, I think it was the volume eight record. We're like, well, let's get Phil on it too. You know, that'd right. be cool to have him. And so, you know, we, I think we had just finished doing some touring with Pantera and, and we, we really had a great time with those guys. And, um, you know, we, I think we had a lot in common and I think it was just a, you know, it was, it was cool to have them on it. You know, Dime is, he's, he's a legend, you know, what can you say? It was, uh, having his lead on an Anthrax record, just took it to another level, so it was very cool, and, and the same with Phil. So. Another interesting thing that I've found uh, with Armored Saint is that the band's name has come up over the last few years in different uh, biographies, like came up in the dirt, and the band was also mentioned during uh, Metallica's Some Kind of Monster. It seems as if you guys rubbed elbows early on with a lot of bands that also made it pretty big during that period of the 80s. Uh, what was that all like with all of these bands being unknown and all sort of coming up through the ranks at the same time? Oh, uh, it's, you know, I think that's the cool thing about Armored Saints history is that even though we weren't a band that, you know, didn't go on to sell millions of records, uh, which we obviously wanted to do, but uh, you know, it wasn't it meant to be. We we still had this kind of cool factor, and I think that our peers, um, you know, felt that same way. And I think that, in in retrospect, is very gratifying. So, um, you know, we came up, we did our first tours with with Metallica, and back in the club days, you know, we played with all the bands like Great White and Rad, who you know went on to have a lot of success. And um, you know, I think that everybody truly felt a, a cool feeling about Armored Sane and um, respected us as musicians. And, uh, you know, as a as an artist in any capacity, I mean, obviously you want to be successful. You'd love to make enough money to, to keep, you know, have that be the only way that you can make a living. Um, unfortunately, that's not the reality for a lot of people, and it wasn't for us. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it doesn't really negate what we did i think we we made some really cool music and i think that we were well respected and i think that that was the most important thing and i think that we had a long history we we kind of went in a weird way to you know it wasn't the normal traditional route uh, of how to have a 25-year career but all in all i think we kind of did that and i think that was one of the things that we always aspired to do is have some longevity and i think that's i think we were able to achieve that as a matter of fact it's kind of funny because uh I, I've been clean. I had a, a problem with um, water damage in our house, and a bunch of stuff uh, in our, my garage got all molded and destroyed. And um, the one thing that I've been a collector of through the years of things I've done primarily has been magazines. So I've, you know, through the years I've always been even ripping a page out on the road in a weekly or whatever it is. I, I've always tried to keep a, a large collection of things that I've been involved in in the magazine world. Uh, and um, one box unfortunately got destroyed, and I was kind of going to see if I could through it, see if I could salvage any of the stuff in there. And um, you know, do it by doing so. I was reading some of the interviews, and, and most of it that was on Rich Saint style. I mean, uh, you know, I have stuff through my whole career. Mm-hmm. But that particular box that got destroyed was 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 Armored Saint stuff, and so I was reading some magazine interviews, and it was pretty funny uh, just to trip out and and read you know where my head was at when 
you know, Raising Fear came out 23 years ago or so. Right. So, um, you know, I think the thing that the running thing that I always talked about even then was like, we just want to have longevity. Because I think that by like, by the time Raising Fear came out, that was like our third record. We were like in our mid twenties. We're still super young, but yet we had all this experience under our belt and probably a bit jaded from the music business. And, um, you know, new things weren't going to go in this kind of, you know, fantasy way, and they were like, ah, kind of hardened already. So it was pretty funny to read stuff from that because, um, you know, I knew that at that point that that maybe it wasn't going to be the way we thought, but we still had this desire to to kind of have this um, longevity and um, you know just still be well respected. And so I think that's so I think we achieved that. And you know, those bands that you know were associated with in, in any capacity. Um, you know, by me joining Anthrax, by Joey playing with Faith Swarning, and you know, um, you know, by being in books like you know, Dirt, like you said, even though that if that's an inaccuracy, the the story is wrong. But at least we're in it, and you know, obviously our association with Metallica through the years, and you know, all the bands that we started with, you know, it's it's, it's cool. You know, it's 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 all good. It makes it very rewarding. Okay, and touching on Metallica, I'm sure you've been asked this question. A million and one times. Um, the question of being asked to uh, join Metallica does what if ever come up when you think of that? Are you comfortable with how things progressed from the, from you know that point going forward with Armored Saint and then Anthrax, or do you ever dwell upon you know what if I would have you know hooked up with those guys on a permanent basis? You know, I, I don't, it just wasn't my it wasn't my fate, it wasn't my destiny. It would have changed metal, you know, in the <laughs> most gigantic of ways, and, and I wasn't meant to do that. Um, you know, of course, I was always flattered that those guys had an interest in me way back. I mean, you got to remember, this is like around Kill 'Em Alls, way back early in the stages right. of of their career and Armored Saint. And Armored Saint was this band was doing well and uh, starting to you know escalate in our popularity and so I was cool with that I didn't want to just go join some other band I was like hey wait this is my band I'm, these are my friends so the Metallica's great but like I'm cool here so mm-hmm. um, you know it wasn't it wasn't my destiny and it's easy you know I can't even imagine what life would be like because who knows what it, what would have happened but right. um, you know I always say it would have been much more of a bigger mistake to not join Anthrax because by then you know my career had already kind of gone through about eight or nine years and um you know it was the right time for me to do that so if i would have not done that that probably would have been a very large mistake Um, okay but uh you know no i'm i'm all good with the you know the way my rock and roll career has gone gotcha okay um and that was actually my next question so you beat me to the punch (laughs) which was Uh, which was did you know not going with metallica uh, influence you going with Anthrax, so you're yeah. It's just a, you know, it's yeah. just about timing. It, it really is, was more about that than anything, and uh, the timing seemed right. I think Armored Saint had exhausted everything we could do, and you know, it was time for us to to take a break, and um, that's what we did. And um, it would have been a mistake to to pass on not going and uh, being part of the, the Anthrax world of the '90s. And I'm very happy I did. You know? Gotcha. Okay. And uh, speaking of Anthrax, um, you'd already mentioned uh, your displeasure with touring and everything else. Um, there were rumors out on the net that you'd been asked to maybe re-record some of the parts that uh, Dan Nelson had uh, recorded on the 
still unreleased Anthrax album. Um, did the quality of that material affect your choice, or was it just the touring aspect and being away from your family and so on? Was that more of a negative and more of a deterrent to not join the band on a uh, current basis than actually maybe the material not being up to what you would expect it to, you know, associate to your name? Um, I think what was it, there was a, a few things th- that were a factor in that, and um, you know the the main factor was that I felt like it wasn't really time for me to 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 resume my you know lead singer role in Anthrax on a permanent basis. I kind of felt like not enough time had elapsed. Um, you know, you got to remember that. The last Anthrax record was "We've Come for You All" of, of original material, and mm-hmm. so if I would have went back in and re-recorded and resumed my position in the band, um, you know, it, it there would have been nothing in between that, and I just didn't think that was it. Didn't feel right, mm-hmm. um, you know. The uh, what those guys did is they, you know, they they, had, they went on a um, they they did a tour where you know they they had Joey Belladonna come in and 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 you know do the reunion thing and um, it felt like the next step for them would have been to make a record with Joey mm-hmm. and for whatever reason they didn't um, in retrospect now I think that now it's like a bunch of time went by and they should have just did what they're doing now then mm-hmm. and I think that made the most sense you know. Nothing against Dan Nelson. I, you know, he was nothing but nice to me in the press. But, you know, that was a weird segue that, you know, probably didn't need to happen because they should have made a record with Joey Belladonna then. Right. Um, and I think that's what the Anthrax fan base wanted and expected after they did the reunion. Mm-hmm. And so for me to come in and to, to re-record Dan stuff, which I was not into doing at all, Mm-hmm. Um, and to kind of resume the decision of the lead singer after the reunion, it just it just didn't feel right. It, was like, it just never sat right in my stomach. To go on and do those st- shows that I did, they were great. They were awesome. But there was no weird vibes with the band whatsoever. I had a great time. It all was easy. Going on stage with them is is cake. It's you know it's, it's second nature. It's not a problem. Um, but to resume my place in the band as the lead singer um, after you know, what went on after I left, mm-hmm. it just didn't feel right to do that for me. And um, yeah, I, was, I was pretty clear about that to them. Um, there are other factors, yeah, you know, I, 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 you know, I have a new career that, you know, is doing well, and I was kind of reluctant to go, I'm going to just blow it out now to go back to the band. I had apprehension in doing that. And, right. um, you know, I got a business with my wife, and, and we're, you know, I've got two kids now, and that's another thing that I was like, well, uh, and I I don't know how I'm going to be able to juggle all this as well, and those mm-hmm. were factors as well. So, um, but um, you know, I think that more than anything, the main thing I the main problem I had is I just didn't feel like it was time for me to resume being the lead singer in the band. You know, so okay. And you know, I, I we we've gone through a lot of weird kind of roller coaster with it. Um, you know, I think feelings were hurt and. You know, there was some understanding, but not. And you know what? At the end of the day, you know, it was just the way it was meant to be. Joey did these shows. I think that, you know, no one could question whether or not, you know, he was part of this nostalgic 
tour that happened and mm-hmm. kind of made sense that he would do it. And I mean, look, I, I had committed to doing it and I was eager and excited about doing it, but it didn't happen. And that's life. And, um, you know, it, it, the way, you know, that Anthrax and Joey Belladonna doing these shows, you know, I think it's probably the logical thing. So, um, you know, it's, like I said, for me, I'm a real, I stand kind of firm in my thought process that things happen the way they're supposed to, and they are what they are, and, um, you know, even though I've done a lot of thinking about it, because it's, you, it's hard not to, at right. the end, I'm, I'm pretty happy, and I feel like it all kind of happened the way it was supposed to, so um, that's where I'm at with it. All right. Very understandable. <laughs> um <laughs> Have you seen uh, videos online of Joey singing only? Um, I watched one thing. I had to be, you know, I was curious like anybody else, and uh, right. you know, I watched I watched one thing, and then that was about it. I'm not I'm not a big, um, you know, I'm just not that. Um, yeah, I'm not that much of an internet guy where I, you know, I sit around and watch a bunch of YouTube uh, videos of anything in particular. You know, I'm just it's just not my thing. Um, mm-hmm. So. You know, watching it once was, you know, was enough because I, you know, I I would probably watch myself once and that would be enough. So, right. you know, I just, I'm not just, it's just not my thing. And, you know, whatever it was, you know, to his defense, he sang it one time or at least that one time that I saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm sure the guy, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure the first time I sang Indians, it probably wasn't, you know, stellar either. So, um you know, yeah, I'm sure if they keep playing it, you know, it'll just get better and better. And, um, you know, it's funny because, you know, I, my feelings are on them doing songs, of, you know, that I was part of is, mm-hmm. is actually one that I think they should do. Because otherwise, if they don't, then it's erasing a huge part of the band's career. And, um, right. you know, there's a bunch of amazing songs that, you know, beyond only, you know, Room for One More and, you know, Inside Out and Fueled and, yeah. and, you know, Safe Home and on and on and on. I mean, we we had some great songs. So yep. I think it would be sad if they didn't play some of those songs because, um, you know, I think fans want to hear some of those songs. So. Absolutely. So um, do you think that they would ever try to do something like uh, Greater of Two Evils Part 2? With <laughs> well, I don't know things? about that. <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't think it's necessary. That's for sure. You know, live is live. You know, you hear it. It's a fleeting moment. You know, it's hey, it's great. You know, and <laughs> unfortunately, with, unfortunately with YouTube, it's actually not that fleeting of a moment because <laughs> right. You know, everything's up there and it's up there permanently after that. But uh, nah, you know, just yeah, it's it's something that you know, like I said, if if they don't play songs that I made with the band, then it's like they're kind of it's kind of like they're saying, well, this isn't up to snuff, and that's mm-hmm. confusing. That would be confusing because, you know, they they are great songs, so I think they should honor those songs. So. Absolutely, hundred percent. I don't know if they I don't know if they played anything other than only. I just know about only. I don't know if, and then some of those other shows, and I know they have you know an upcoming dates coming in August. I don't know if they're going to pull out other songs. I, I have no idea really. So. Right, yeah, you know, I checked online, and I think they only did it the one time. Oh, they um, only played it the one show? Yeah, because I have, oh. um, I know people that work for um, a music site here in Spain that actually went to see one of the shows, and I want to say the Czech Republic, 
And um, the one person that I spoke to mentioned that they didn't play only, that they played, uh, I think, Madhouse instead. Or uh, I think okay. I well, yeah, maybe they're just maybe they're mixing it up. Who knows? I mean, Anthrax has a huge catalog. That um, you know, one of the things that I always said when we when I was in the band is you know let's play different songs. I you know can't play the same songs all the time. It just gets so tiresome. So right. And when you have a band that has a huge catalog and a lot of popular songs, you can mix it up. You know, it's annoying to me when bands play the same songs. It's safe. You know, it's like come on. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it, well, you touched on another thing there. You know, with the advent of YouTube, it sort of doesn't make going to see shows as special as maybe they were in the past because there was always that element of surprise. Now with YouTube, right. you know, the day after a show, you're seeing what someone's playing. and Oh, I know. Yeah, as well as the set list. Like, and, you yeah. know, and I've been guilty of that, too, to some degree. You know, I'd be like, well, what are they playing? You know, and yeah. I'll take the set list and, you know, and I, and I get pissed at myself for doing it. But like <laughs> ACDC, I did that. And I was like, well, they got to play some some different songs here because if it's the same stuff, you know, it's, I've seen ACDC, you know, hundreds of times. So it's like, right. You know, I don't know. That's, that is a factor for me. And I think that, you know, especially bands who have a large catalog, I think you have to mix it up and, um, you know, I, I, I'm sure you should play some of the classics. Of course you have to, otherwise the room's going to be like, what are they doing? But, um, right. Uh, all in all, I think that you're right with YouTube and with people knowing people set lists in advance. Like when we, when I did those Soundwave Festival shows um, in Australia with Anthrax, the last thing I did, and Faith No More with the headliners, and this is the band who hasn't even been a real band in how many years, 10 years or whatever, they yeah. played a different set every night. Huh. And I mean, I was just blown away by the just the amount of knowledge and, and, and you know memory they had and able to pull out so many different songs and mix it up every night. It was just unbelievable. Right. Um, so um, a huge amount of respect for them to do that. And, you know, some songs don't go over like gangbusters like others. But right. as a fan, sometimes you want to just hear a song and you may not react like, a, you know, going nuts, and, but you still are excited and happy that they played that song. So right. I mean, it's very important. I, you know, the last thing I want to do is hear the same stupid songs over and over again. It's like, come on, man. Uh, I'm 100% with you. <laughs> um, I was actually able to see you in Anthrax at the New York Steel Benefits show um, right after 9-11. Um, can you share some of your thoughts on that show? Because there was um, sort of controversy surrounding the band at the time due to their name and everything that had taken place. Uh, it was a great gig. It was amazing. It was, uh, you know, a cool thing to be part of and honored to be part of. And there was a lot of money that was raised for the, uh, I think, the widows uh, and the families of the, the, the fallen firefighters and police officers for that. So mm -hmm. um, it was just a, a killer, amazing thing to be part of. And, um, yeah, you know, we came out with the suits that said, you know, we won't change our name. And right. it was neat. It was really cool. Was, you know, New York was a, was a special place to be just as a human being there at that time, you yep. just felt everybody connected. And, um, and uh, you know, Ed Trunk put that all together, and it was really cool. It was really neat to be part of that. And, uh, and you know, I have some pictures actually on my wall, and I'm looking at them right now that are from that show. And um, it, was, it was awesome. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, I've, 
unfortunately witnessed 9-11 in person and uh, feel that that show was almost like the beginning of the healing process after that because oh. I think the whole oh – yeah, the, I was like 100 yards away and saw that second plane hit live oh, in person. Oh, you're kidding. So, no. Wow. <laughs> oh. What, did you work down there or something? Or um, I actually uh, lived in New Jersey, and I had to pick up uh, off-lease computer equipment from American Express. And um, I actually was supposed to go to a building right next to the towers. Wow. Uh, and at the last second, five o'clock, before I go to pick up the rental truck, uh, they sent me to one of their other locations, which is right on Wall Street. And we heard the pl- the first plane hit, heard the news, and we figured, you know, it was uh, that it wasn't what it actually was. You know, we thought right. it was some freak accident. An accident so yeah. We walked over and and we saw it, you know, live and full on. And I mean, I was shell shocked when I saw that plane hit i mean uh my brother was helping me out that day and he kept screaming my name and i just froze you know i was just staring at it and just with did any of the the you know remnants of the plane get near you or anything like that no lucky lucky enough nothing like that happened i thank god that i didn't get to see anyone like jump or anything like that Yeah, right yeah you know we were we were stuck by the brooklyn bridge by that time like Mm, i I saw the, you know, the second tower fall, and you could feel it, you know, shake the entire floor. And um, like I said, that show really started sort of the healing process. And you know, it took me a while to get over all of that because it was almost yeah. like being shell-shocked for... Yeah, you probably will never get over that. I mean, in the sense that I'm sure it will be etched in your mind for forever. So. Yeah, well, telling the story, I got... All, all the hairs on my arms uh, standing up, uh, you know, every, oh, time geez, I, every time I hear sirens and stuff. Not every time, you know, it used to be, you know, sirens or loud noises would go off and I'd relive the whole thing. But, you know, little by little over the years, it just sort of goes away. But as you said, you know, I still, from time to time, it, you relive the whole thing like a movie. So. Wow. Well, I'm sorry that you had to go through that, you know. Um, Just... Hey, what are you going to do? You know, I don't know. I, I often think about uh, soldiers, what they go through and all that. You know, if I live that on one day, you know, what do these poor guys go through, you know, on a daily basis? So. No, I know. It's amazing. Uh, you know, it's, uh, well, and and that's the kind of perspective that will hopefully, um, you know, make it easier for, for, you know, people to identify with what's happening and not just be, you know, removed and think, oh, you know, that's, yeah, I can't believe that's happening. And you read things, but, like, you really want to understand you know, what this is all about and the ramifications of, of everything that's going on. And Right. Uh, well, this is a, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> Absolutely, and that one could last hours upon hours, so. Yes, exactly. Hey, everybody, what's happening? This is John Bush, and you're cranking it up on Mars Attacks.
little Inside Out by Anthrax. Had to add that song. Dimebag Daryl plays a solo there. That is my absolute favorite solo of all time. That solo gives me goosebumps every time I hear it. It is, In my opinion, it is just that good. And that is one of my all-time favorite Anthrax songs, and I am a huge Anthrax with John Bush fan. I've seen the band with all three singers, well, three of the four singers. I haven't seen them with Neil Turbin. Too young for that. Um, so it was interesting, you know, to hear his take on Dan Nelson, to hear, uh, you know, his take on Joey and everything. And before I go on, I have to tell a funny story regarding one of the times that I saw Anthrax. Saw them here in Spain at a place called uh, Sala Jam. Uh, in Bergara is the name of the place. And uh, it was interesting. Uh, Anthrax had one song to go. S- uh, Scott Ian comes out with a um, uh, one of Dimebag Daryl's guitars. And uh, he attempts to speak Spanish. Now, I have no problem with people trying to speak Spanish, you know, up on stage or whatever. But just make sure you know what you're saying. Because here's the story. And I told Blitz from Overkill this story, and he blew up laughing. It was absolutely ridiculous. Um, so anyway, Scott comes out, and he says, um, My Spanish is not good, but my metal is... Um, muy potente or something like that. Very strong. Okay. Um, and before this, you know, Scott has had, Scott has always said that. All the times I've seen him here in Spain, he's always said something similar. But this one time, he decides to ramble off some phrases in Spanish. One of the phrases that he says is, me gusta polla. P-O-L-L-A. Now, chicken in Spanish is pollo, which is P-O-L-L-O. The difference between um, pollo and polla is that polla here in Spain, uh, depending on how you want to phrase this, can be dick, can be cock, can be penis, can be whatever, you know, uh, you want to say. And that's cool, you know, Scott, if that's what he was trying to get across, that's awesome. But I have a strange feeling <laughs> that that wasn't what he was trying to say. So, again, remember, in the future, if you're coming over and you're trying to speak um, Spanish, make sure you know what you're saying. Could be worse. Had Joshua Todd from Buckcherry say, uh, hey, Mexico, when he was on the stage here. So, you know, uh, I could see a slip up of, you know, uh, a syllable here or there, you know, and it's funny, but. I'm not on stage and saying, hey, Mexico, man, you flew how many hours to get here? Come on. So, anyway, I want to get into some bits and pieces of songs that uh, John Bush has been on. Because, I mean, this sort of this sort of podcast is difficult to put together. You know, what do you add? What do you add to this podcast that, A, you haven't heard before? If you're a fan of John Bush... Uh, B, if you're if you don't know who John Bush is or you don't know, you know, the wealth of music that he has behind him, you know, with Armored Saint and Anthrax, you know, I played bits and pieces there of songs, but uh, there's very, you know, very strong albums out there that he worked on. He did, you know, Symbol of Salvation that we touched on, Revelations, which has just some kick-ass songs on it. So I want to get into a little piece of a song off of Revelations. This is After Me, The Flood. 
something that came out on Symbol of Salvation. One of the best albums, as I mentioned during the interview, that came out, in my opinion, during the decade of the 90s, and makes me feel, you know, when people say, oh, you know, metal in the 90s sucked. Check out Symbol of Salvation. This album does not suck. Okay, I mean, how many great songs are on here? Dropping Like Flies, Hanging Judge, Last Train Home, and Rain of Fire, which were the two singles, Spineless, uh, the title track, Symbol of Salvation, Tainted Past, which is sort of a slower song, but kicks ass as well. Tribal Dance, and I'm skipping a few here, but uh, the song that I'm going to play for you, or the piece that I'm going to play for you, comes from the song Warzone.
little bit of Warzone there coming off of Symbol of Salvation. We've touched on a bunch of different Armored Saint albums we played. Uh, the actual, uh, what would you call this? The redo for March of the Saint, the 2009 version. We did uh, a little bit of uh, La Raza, title track off of La Raza. We did uh, After Me the Flood off of Revelations, Warzone off of Symbol of Salvation. Let's get into a quick glimpse into one of the songs that um, that he collaborated on. Uh, this is the song Paper Trail, which he did with Peter from Soilworks. The riff before the chorus here is just so damn cool. I, I got to play this for you guys. So this is Paper Trail coming off of the Nuclear Blast All-Star album. <laughs> referring to is the pre-chorus there. Anyway, let's get into a little bit of the track, the Scorpions track that he covered with Six Feet Under. He does the clean vocals on this track. <laughs> Thank you. 
go a little six feet under with Blackout, the Scorpions classic. Let's get into another track off of La Raza. This is Left Hook from Right Feel. This is the current single. At least they filmed the video for this track. Real cool track as well. Highly recommend the album. You know, the first time I listened to it, yeah, sort of wasn't sold on it. Started listening to it some more. And I uh, really enjoyed the album. Took me a long time to actually get my hands on the album. I was in the States, couldn't find it anywhere, you know. Uh, Best Buy didn't carry it anywhere in my area or anything. Went into the city to do a show with uh, Mark Striegel, John Astronomy, and um, happened to find it in the city. So uh picked it up there. In any event, this is Armored Saint with Left Hook from Right Field. left hook from right field want to thank john bush immensely for coming on the show want to apologize to him and vince for taking so long to get this up uh, anyone want to know why check out the interview i did with richard patrick go in uh go into considerable length about all the different things in my personal life that took place over the summer that unfortunately put life on hold so um yeah i'll just leave it at that um again thanks john Thanks, um, thanks, Vince. Thanks, Kyle Parsons from Metal Army America, Century Media, who helped arrange everything. I also want to thank the listeners for hanging in there for the last year and helping, you know, expand my audience little by little. And um, I also want to thank John Astronomy and especially Mark Striegel. Without the two of them, Mars Attacks wouldn't have ever happened. I wouldn't have received the encouragement from them to get this off of the ground and to make sure that, you know, this was still going a year later. <clears throat> and um, any time that anything comes up, you know, I normally bounce ideas off of them. Again, especially Mark, and Mark usually is uh, sort of the um, 
person that sets me straight or, you know, sort of keeps me in the game. But, uh, you know, want to thank those people and um, I want to thank them. Excuse me. Sort of those people, sort of impersonal. But anyway, want to thank uh, the listeners once again. And uh, there will be um, bigger and better things along the way, hopefully here, uh, with the Mars Attacks podcast and radio show. Remember to keep up to date with everything going on. Go to MarsAttacksRadio.com. Sign up for the Twitter, the Facebook, and the MySpace accounts. Uh, we are growing them little by little. Hopefully we could get them to respectable states uh, shortly. Uh, also, um, want to remind you to check out, you know, the music that John Bush has put out, go out to iTunes, buy tracks that you've liked, go to your stores, buy CDs, support the artists that you like, you know, that's the bottom line, uh, for me. Again, thanks for listening. We're going to leave you with a track that John talked about that he thinks that Joey Belladonna should be singing. This is Room for Some More. Room for One More. Jesus, tongue-tied. I apologize. Room for One More by uh, Anthrax. There's room for some more John Bush era songs during Joey Belladonna's, or during the current uh, Anthrax tour with Joey Belladonna. Uh, Let's leave it at that. So, Room for One More by Anthrax with John Bush singing. Thanks a lot, and see you next time. (laughs) 